Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our second part of this podcast on CT of the stomach. We spoke last time in detail of gastric adenocarcinoma, and I left off at this point, we're going to speak about spread of disease, and the area you really worry about is nodal spread. We speak about nodes typically in the region of the celiac axis and gastropathic ligament, and in many situations we talk about nodes being abnormal over 15 millimeters. With gastric cancer, anything above 8 millimeters in this region is considered abnormal. Here's a simple case, of course, large gastric tumor, lesser curvature, and there are the large nodes in the region of the celiac axis. Or in this example, again, large nodes in the celiac axis that literally extend posteriorly and encase the celiac. The patient's extensive tumor is very nicely defined. Or in this case, with this infiltration extending down toward the celiac. One of the things you recognize is sometimes you see very small, well-defined, discrete nodes. Other times you see this pattern of infiltration. And here's just one more example. One of the things that happens with gastric cancer, it spreads locally and infiltrates, particularly the more aggressive tumors. So here you can see infiltration from the posterior wall of the stomach downward toward the pancreas and down toward the mesentery. Or in this case, you can see extension from the antrum downward and infiltrating the perigastric regions. And when you get the coronal views, you can see the patient has a gastrocolic fistula. Tumor can grow down the gastrocolic omentum and in this case, fistulizes to the colon. Coronal views are particularly helpful in looking at spread of disease, particularly when it's in a uh, cranial caudad fashion. In this case, I'm showing you nicely the MPRs, and there have been articles. There's an article by Kim, adding MPR to transverse CT images approves the capability for distinguishing T3 from T4 gastric cancer and predicting organ invasion. And that's very true with many things. When you're trying to look at spread, the coronals or sagittals are ideal. Kim, again, a combination of transverse CT and MPR is more accurate than transverse CT alone in predicting tumor invasion of adjacent organs, particularly transverse colon, mesocolon, and pancreas, then therefore in helping identify patients with T4 disease, like the last patient. In discriminating between T3 and T4 tumors, even if the fat plane intervening between the primary tumor and adjacent organ is effaced, invasion is not likely to be present if a distinct and smooth interface is ma maintained between them. And that's so important to be able to see that as we look at tumor spread. So it's a very good way of doing this. And Kim goes on talking about T4 and the accuracy of CT. We know with gastric cancer, the patterns of spread include carcinomatosis. So here's a nice example, markedly distended stomach, retained food, infiltration of antrum. And then you see the stranding down to the omentum and mesentery and the patient's ascites, very nicely showing you on the venous phase, the infiltration, and really a good example of carcinomatosis. What I like to think about carcinomatosis, the Diseases that come to mind include gastric cancer, ovarian cancer, and things like pseudomyxoma peritonei, but just a beautiful example of a tumor spread coming down from the stomach onto the omentum. Now, other articles have shown, even going back to the 4 and 16 slice era, that uh, CT gave a very highly accurate, well over 90% in assessment of serosal invasion. So when we see the more extensive spreads of disease, I think CT is indeed very good. I think the challenge is in the more local disease. Looking at T1 to T2, I think that's always the challenge. 
early spread of disease. When things are bulkier, obviously it's not quite as difficult a problem. Now, if you ask me what are the pitfalls for looking at CT, small flat lesions can be missed. Depth of invasion is somewhat challenging. EUS can be better at that. And detection of early nodal involvement. Again, we go by size, not architecture, but eight millimeters or better, we're calling abnormal. And sometimes lesions or nodes below eight millimeters are normal. And sometimes they're abnormal. So it's always going to be a challenge. The issue with CT, we've never come up with a good contrast agent for looking at nodes, and we rely on size. There's lots of discussion about endoscopic ultrasound. Where does that fit in? And it's very good, obviously, for biopsying, looking at depth of penetration. But CT really is ideal for TNN staging, that regardless of EUS, preoperative CT is indispensable, looking for distant metastasis. And so it's really a supplement to EUS because of looking at liver, looking at uh, spread into omentum and mesentery and the like. When you look at gastric cancer, often you can be very suggestive of the diagnosis. Though in other cases, it's a differential diagnosis. When lesions are bulky, you think of lymphoma, discrete large mass, we think of GIST tumor. Metastasis, particularly melanoma, can look very much like an adenocarcinoma. And then infection. I'll show you some examples at the end of this talk that sometimes gastritis, particularly H. pylori inflammation, can really look like tumor infiltration, and it's really impossible to distinguish just based on imaging. Now, I mentioned that uh, adenocarcinoma is the most common tumor we're going to see, but lymphoma is something we will commonly see. The stomach is the most frequent site of malignant lymphoma when looking at the GI tract, though it does make up a small percentage of gastric malignancies. Most are non-Hodgkin's disease, Hodgkin's accounts for 9% of all gastric lymphomas. The things you look at in CT, these tumors are bulkier from the big picture compared to adenoCA. There's an infiltrating form with wall thickening. Typically, five sodomies used to be the magic number. They're now picking it up at smaller numbers. It can be diffuse or segmental. We can see polypoid masses. We can see extensive adenopathy. The polypoid masses can be very large. Diffuse infiltration, again, can be bulky. Think greater than four or five centimeters. The presence of ulceration is not uncommon, and mucosal nodularity are all appearances. When you try to compare them together, lymphoma versus adenocarcinoma, there is overlap, but some rules work well. Adenopathy beneath the level of the hilum, particularly when bulky, is more commonly associated with lymphoma. Tumor extension to duodenum is more common with lymphoma, and bulkier nodes are typically seen with lymphoma. There's been an article we wrote way back when talking about the gastric mass and size, and here we spoke about 4CM or better. Now, I will say, particularly with B-cell lymphoma, the average size of lymphomas has indeed decreased. Again, a recent article looking at differentiating gastric adenocarcinoma from lymphoma, they mentioned localized involvement of the lesion, abnormal perigastric fat planes, and location, one region of the stomach, tend to indicate gastric adenocarcinoma, while diffuse involvement of the lesion, preserved perigastric fat planes, and location involving more than one region tends to favor lymphoma. So you can see lymphomas are bulkier, they displace rather than infiltrate, and it can involve larger areas of the stomach. The other thing about lymphoma, it's not uncommon for lymphoma to ulcerate. 
more than 40% of cases can have ulceration. Uh, it can present with ulceration, with GI bleeding. And I showed you a case earlier in the talk which showed you the pericardiac nodes, the large bulky tumor, but this patient presented with GI bleeding and the active bleed is in the uh, region near the antrum of the stomach. You can see the prominent vessels extending there. You can see the prominent exogastric mass, the adenopathy, and really the infiltration very nicely shown. You can see as I show you a few more images, the bulk of lymphoma, that's not going to be adenocarcinoma. It doesn't have distribution of metastasis. It doesn't have the appearance of a gist tumor. And again, vascularity is something we don't think about in lymphoma, but in this case, there was active bleeding, and this was the site of where the bleed was. So it's something to look at. And again, dual-phase imaging is very helpful in the staging and evaluation of these patients. Now, this patient also following the rules had extensive adenopathy in the periotic region. Now, I mentioned that many times these days, we see lymphoma, which isn't all that bulky, and these are typically malt lymphomas. This case, I thought perhaps gastric adenocarcinoma. It wasn't that bulky, it wasn't that extensive, and there were no evidence of periodic nodes. That's a uh, incidental FNH in the liver. But, you know, this was biopsied, and this was uh, malt lymphoma. Malt lymphomas are unique. They're low-grade lymphomas that typically, just like adenocarcinoma, can be associated with H. pylori infection. More frequently, the CT wall uh, thickening uh, is not quite as bulky as we see in some other cases, and the appearance is identical at times to gastric adenocarcinoma. So examples, this is an easy case of lymphoma. Diffuse infiltration of the entire stomach, that is just not very tricky. There's ulcerations present. Very good visualization of how extensive the tumor is, and you can see that more as you go to coronal and sagittal imaging. So there are a range of appearances of lymphoma. It's important to understand them and separate them from adenocarcinoma. Invariably, the patient will get a biopsy, but if you suggest lymphoma, uh, it's very important in them getting the correct biopsy and the correct stains. Now, the third tumor I'll mention is GIST tumor. GIST tumors are very interesting. They make up to 70% of tumors uh, in the stomach are of GISTs. And what I mean by that is GIST tumors can occur anywhere in the GI tract, but 70% are in the stomach. Second most common will be in the small bowel. It's interesting tumors. They arise from a common precursor cell. Uh, they display spindle cell or epithelioid morphologic characteristics, and they have very specific lab tests that are positive. CKIT or CD117 protein is positive, CD34 protein, and S100 and Desmond uh, commonly are positive. It most commonly arises in the body of the stomach, and its malignant potential depends on mitosis per high-powered fields. These lesions can become very large. Their presentation is variable from abdominal pain and weight loss to GI bleeding. The very classic, the endoluminal appearance is most common. That's a really classic appearance for GIST tumors. These are large and they can ulcerate. Occasionally they will calcify, though that's fairly rare. They can grow into adjacent structures like colon or pancreas or diaphragm, and metastases, particularly liver metastases, are not going to be uncommon. Uh, just tumors on CT, that exogastric mass, but they also have endoluminal masses present, though less frequently, and the exogastric are indeed so impressive. When these go to the liver, which is a common area, it will be cystic. Just tumors have variable vascularity. Here's a nice example of a smooth lesion near the GE junction. That was a GIST tumor. 
or in this case, an infiltrating mass, submucosal, extending exophytically in the antrum of the stomach. Here it is on a few more views and a few more views. Very nice example of a gist tumor. But here's the real classic gist tumors. Look at these large masses, exophytic, growing off the stomach, pushing on the stomach. Very nicely shown in this scenario. Classic gist tumor. Or this case, sometimes they're very necrotic, which is what this case is. You, the hardest thing here sometimes is to say this is not adjacent to the stomach rather than coming from the stomach. You can see that it almost abuts the stomach rather than arising from. It can indeed be very tricky and it can extend into additional organs like the spleen as in this case. And here's just a couple of views showing it very nicely. Just tumors are cystic and necrotic. And they give metastasis, particularly to the liver. Those lesions are often cystic. So it's a very important understanding of the disease pathology. Here's another example. Look at the size of that tumor. It's over 12 centimeters, exophytic, uh, compresses the stomach but doesn't obstruct the stomach, large lobular lesion, very, very impressive example. There's nothing else I could think that looks like this. Here it is in a coronal display. The issue with these, sometimes they're so large you can't tell where they arise. You think maybe pancreas, adrenal, retroperitoneum. It can be tricky. Now, I mentioned just tumors also can be inside the stomach, endoluminal, like in this case, and like in this case, they will commonly ulcerate. Uh, very nice example. It doesn't look like adenocarcinoma. It does not look like metastasis, though. Melanoma occasionally can look like this, but these are classic GIST tumors as well. With GIST tumors, you want to look carefully at the liver. That's a good sign of metastasis. Here's another large, bulky GIST tumor sitting right in the stomach. Look at the coronal views with the water all around it. It's literally hanging off the fundus of the stomach. That's a very classic appearance for an intraluminal GIST tumor, which is far less frequent than the large exophytic lesions we used to seeing. Now, with GIST tumors, surgery has been the conventional therapy, but now... Uh, there's been new uh, chemotherapy agents. Gleevec's the one we talk about. With Gleevec, excellent response. What you'll try to do is, with these tyrosine kinase inhibitors, is give the patient the chemotherapy, shrink the tumor, and then operate. Many surgeons find it better to shrink the tumor over a couple weeks and then operate, so it's much easier to get tissue planes and much more likely to have uh, negative margins at time of surgery. So it's a very, very important uh, uh, concept and things are indeed changing. There are other tumors in the stomach and the one that goes along with GIST was they're in the same category, lyomyomas. We used to say lyomyomas were smooth muscle tumors under 5 cm and GIST were over 5 cm. GIST were also called lyomyosarcomas. Lyomyomas are always benign. They're negative for CKIT and they range from 1 to 5 centimeters in size. Gastric lyomyomas can calcify and again submucosal lesion very nicely seen in this case. There aren't that many differential diagnoses. I guess a funny um, gist tumor, but usually they're much larger than this, and the calcifications are not so great. Metastasis, perhaps. But again, here's a large submucosal lesion, densely calcified, just a very nice example. Now, as we look at other tumors of the stomach, there are a number of the tumors that I should mention because we do see them. They're rare, but not uncommon. But before we do that, let's just take a five minute break and we'll come back.